Welcome to episode 37 of BNBFC. Brian joining you here today. Brett's in Europe right now, traveling, seeing the world. So just me here today, but we've got lots of transfer business done already. It's still fairly early in the transfer season, middle of July, but pretty much all of the big six teams, or seven now if you want to include Newcastle or, or big six if you want to exclude Tottenham, have made some moves. So we're kind of going to be going through each of those clubs. I'll be giving some commentary on the transfers that have already been completed, significant incoming and also outgoing transfers, and then kind of talking about a few rumors as well. I'll probably predominantly focus on Manchester United and Arsenal. It seems like that's what we always do. Uh, those are the clubs that, that Brett and I support. So United, they brought in Mason Mount for around 55-ish, 60 million-ish. You know, he looked like a promising player, did fairly well kind of when he first broke onto the scene under Frank Lampard. Don't know what to say about this at this point. The jury's still out. If we want to put our faith in Eric Ten Hag and saying that when he just picks out a young player that he thinks that will work in his system and that he can develop so far, he's been relatively successful in doing that. So if we go by that metric, it could be a decent signing. He's by no means over the hill. Uh, it, it's really hard to evaluate kind of all of these Chelsea players over this last season because it just was a shit show over there last year. But Mason Mount, good player when he first came in. We'll see about that. English player may have played the English tax on him for a little bit. But we know the work ethic is going to be there. We know that Eric Ten Hag really wanted to look for a midfielder that was press-resistant, and Mason Mount does certainly fit that bill. David De Gea, longtime goalkeeper for United, announced that he was leaving the club. This one was bittersweet for me because on one hand, I was really fond of De Gea. He's really the only remnant that I have left from the United that I started to support 10, 12 years ago, whenever that was. And seeing him leave, it is kind of, you know, bittersweet in some ways. I think he had a decent season this year, but it is also very clear that he is not the type of player that's going to be successful in an Eric Ten Hag system. But I am glad that we kind of got to see some of those great shot-stopping moments from De Gea this year. Because there was that period, probably 2015 through to 2018 where De Gea was arguably one of the best in the world and I think predominantly without question the best shot stopper in the world and then he kind of hasn't been playing as well the last two or three years before this year but we kind of got to see those moments of what he can do just saving shots not necessarily commanding his area or, or doing well with his feet but that was really good to see that kind of go out on somewhat of a high note it was almost refreshing in a way to see that he was leaving because that also made United get a move on that United are notoriously late um, business doers in the transfer season. So we're looking at uh, Onana from Inter Milan. Yeah, or Inter. Yeah, I think Inter. One of the Milan teams and obviously a much better fit for United. Everyone seems like these days the that kind of sweeper keepers in for or in in style, having that keeper that can 
be that fifth defender or be, always be available for a pass and not just be a liability when, when the ball's at their feet, giving that capability to play out from the back. It's looking like that deal is just about done. $40 million. He's 27 years old. I think that's a good piece of business. He's proven himself well enough at the at a high level for the places that he's played at. I believe he has some history with uh, Eric Ten Hag as he was an Ajax player uh, at one point. So that's another plus. Has that connection. So quite happy with that. And for a 27-year-old keeper, you can expect, you know, they're, they can play quite well till they're in their mid-30s. So for that $40 million price tag, looks looks pretty good. And then looking at Rasmus Holland, this is more of a rumor at this point. I don't think he's the, the player that United should really go after. I think they should hold on for Harry Kane uh, and not, not just spend willy-nilly in some ways. Not that this is willy-nilly, but Again, if we put our trust in Ten Hag and he thinks this was work, it might work. But I think there's other options. I think at this point, United should be looking at someone who's going to come right in and, and be that starting number nine player. That's really this guy comes in. If he comes in, we already we know that Anthony Martial is still there, who who seems to have his moments at times. It looks like he looks a good player sometimes, and then the other times looks terrible. But I think Harry Kane was the target, and I think it. I, I, it's not time to, to kind of give up on Harry Kane. But I think we'll talk about Harry Kane a little bit earlier. That's United's been pretty quiet so far. The ownership drama saga, whatever you want to call it, has been kind of playing center stage in this. It seems like there's both sides are reluctant to whether it's the the Glazers to put money on the line if they're going to sell the club or what that looks like. Though it does sound like United just got a boost. Their their budget was going to be 120 million and is now 170 million. So potential more money for for players there. So we'll see what United do. United are notorious for leaving it late, so probably won't know what they're going to be doing for another month here. Arsenal already spent over 200 million. They brought in Kai Havertz from Chelsea. They brought in Declan Rice from. West Ham, and they brought in Yuri and Timber from Ajax. Havertz at about 60, 65 million. Rice at about 105 million plus some add-ons. And Timber at around that $40 million mark. And I was quite excited when they announced Havertz. I, I rate Havertz quite high. I think he's a great player. Again, hard to evaluate what he did in that Chelsea shit show this past year. But I was quite surprised that Arteta is trying to bring Havertz to the play in that kind of more of a number eight role or less of a less of an attacking player. Because I think when he first came in, I I looked and I thought Havertz is most comfortable pl- playing as either a cam or a number nine or kind of on the right hand side attacking player. And I thought that's great because Arsenal really didn't have a lot of depth. Uh, Bakayo Saka was probably playing too much and. You, needing Arsenal really needs someone to come in, especially when you're bringing, playing Champions League football. You're going to be playing twice a week and with both of those games sometimes being important must-win games and you can't just kind of play, you know, rest sack and not have some a good alternative. So I thought he could kind of be that for 
Saka and he kind of brings a different element if he was to play the number nine role he's got a little bit more height on him I think he's over six feet tall and you know with Trossard Saka Jesus not necessarily great aerial or tall players so I thought there would be that extra element so I'm not convinced Havertz playing as number eight it wasn't the dominant display from him when he was playing in the number eight although it is early from just one preseason game so I'm not convinced, so I'll, I might be wrong. We'll see. And if I am wrong, I'll be happy to happy to, to take that one. But I'm not seeing it at this moment. I think he's better deployed elsewhere. Declan Rice. Obviously, a really good player, established Premier League player. It really didn't hit me how much this guy cost until I kind of looked at some charts. He becomes the third highest, I think, Premier League transfer of all time, and then the second highest English transfer of all time, English being just English-born players, and then now being in the Premier League behind, I think, Jack Grealish and Enzo Fernandez. I think it's Fernandez in Argentina. So Enzo really is the, I think, the most direct comparison that you would say to, to Declan Rice. Chelsea brought him in for very similar money. The January transfer window. He's a few years younger. I think Enzo is 21 years old and, and Rice is 24, 25. So you're probably seeing more potential in Enzo. Rice seems like one of those consistent performers. So if you're, if you're kind of looking at performances, Rice is probably going to be putting in sevens and eights where Enzo could be down five, six, and then the next game put in a nine, nine and a half. So we don't know. I think Enzo's ceiling's a little bit higher, but whether he reaches that or not. And I think Rice is going into a an Arsenal team that's that's on the up, that has developed their their players and their young players quite well. So I think Rice might be in a better position to succeed. Uh, he's not. There's other superstars. There are other big names. Not that there's not big names on Chelsea, but there's big names that we know can handle the that have handled that the that pressure with Saka and Odegaard and people like that on Arsenal. Where we haven't seen anyone the new kind of those young players on Chelsea really stand out yet in the Premier League. So there might be less pressure on Rice. So we'll see. Uh, but with that being said, Rice is a player that I obviously I think is a little a step up from Granite Xhaka and someone who slots right in. He's in his early mid twenties still. So you're looking at a player that for the next eight or 10 years can just be that one of the first names on the team sheet, English, um, yeah, kind of convenient registration wise when you have so many English trained players in your squad. So when you think about it that way, if he can be a consistent performer for 10 years, that, that a hundred and some million is going to look well spent, but we'll also have to kind of keep an eye on, within the context of Enzo Fernandez's development at Chelsea to kind of see what the effectiveness of this transfer will be. I think too, and I'm, I'm guilty of this in, in a lot of ways is that I sometimes don't think about the inflationary factors much. And maybe we're coming to an era just now where you're seeing you need to spend, if you're a big club and you want someone that's a starting 11 player, that's going to come in, and improve 
and be that one of the first names in the team sheet that you are looking to have to spend that 100 million if you're doing that for a young player. So we'll see about that. I think Todd Bowley has cr- created some of this inflation because you're seeing market value, of course, is what, what a buyer and seller are going to agree on a price. It's not necessarily relative to what a player should actually be worth. So those transfers like Mudrick might be kind of making other players a little bit more expensive. And I think we have seen that. There's been owners that have recognized that, well, Chelsea paid this much for, for Mudrick. Our players worth this much to you too. And then that kind of being hired for the, the buyers. And then Yuri and Timber looks like he can play center back. Looks like he can play right back. Again, I think we've seen enough from Marteta to suggest that the players, these young players that he brought in seem to do reasonably well. I don't know if it's a, the case that he's going to slot right in and play right back, but he certainly looks like a, a better solution than Rob Holding to be that backup center back if that's where he's going to play. So it looks like Arsenal are shaping up, bringing in Rice to come right into the team and then kind of more depth in whether Havertz is midfield or your attacking position, more depth there and depth in in defense. And there was that narrative surrounding Arsenal for, for quite a while, really since the they transitioned to their new stadium and left Highbury that they're not spending money. And, and that was true to a large degree for, for most of the time that uh, Wenger was in charge after they moved there. They did not spend a lot of money. But since Arteta was appointed in 2019 or since the time of his appointment, Arsenal actually have the highest net spend in the Premier League. And we're seeing last year putting up 84 points, I believe, and then spending another $200 million. There's really no excuses for them at this point to not go and and really challenge for at least the Premier League for next year and then going forward for pretty much everything they they want to play in. City might be a little um, complacent after doing so well, so it might be the, the best time to for them to kind of Arsenal to really challenge them again. But Arsenal, irrespective of what City does, whether City puts up another unbelievable year, but I think Arsenal should be targeting around 90 points this Premier League season upcoming. All right, moving on to Liverpool. Some signings in the midfield. Alexis McAllister from Brighton and then Sobasai from RB Leipzig. Again, not talking too much. We focus more on United and Arsenal, but Liverpool's midfield was definitely in need of kind of a, a revamp. So we'll see. Also, seeing how Jurgen Klopp, for the most part, Jurgen Klopp's signings have, have done pretty well. So we'll see about McAllister's obviously Premier League proven and Sobelsly. I don't know much about him, but I've, I've heard that he's a decent player. So we'll see see how that goes for for them. Chelsea have brought in Nkuku. Well, that, that transfer, I believe, was finalized in the, in the uh, January window and has just happened this year. This this um, transfer window, so we knew that one was coming. But I think the biggest piece for the Chelsea transfers, the biggest news, is all of the outgoing. So we've seen we've seen Havertz, we've seen Mount, we've seen Kante go to Saudi Arabia. There really is a starting eleven. I saw a picture of that 
you could pretty much one person in every position has, has left Chelsea. So they certainly have done a, a good job in trimming the squad down, whether it is the right players that they sold, if they're, if they're players that they let go would have come in and done a better job than the players that they have now. But we've talked before about just the really inflated size of Chelsea's squad. You don't have a solid finalized starting 11 there's so much depth. So this could be, there's almost too much depth when you think of maybe like a Manchester City having really a more defined 11 than subs where Chelsea was really all over the place. So we'll see about see about that. Manchester City brought in Mateo Kovacic. Really, I think a pretty good alternative to kind of the one player that they've really lost that's that's of, of significant proportion is Ilkay Gundogan and Kovacic is probably going to be slotted right in maybe playing that number eight role maybe split that with uh, Phil Foden where or where Gundogan played De Bruyne is obviously going to be on the one side and then maybe Phil Foden and Kovacic will fill in for split the time with that other one but I think he's I think with under Guardiola if he's if he's a kind of intelligent player, which I think he, he relatively is, he should be able to fit into that, that city system. We'll see not a lot of outgoings. Otherwise Kyle Walker has been linked to, to Bayern Munich. So we'll see about that. Spurs, James Madison. I think, I think most people would agree a pretty good signing should be do okay for Spurs. Uh, Pedro Poro was on loan for them um this this year and then they finalized that so not a lot going on spurs the harry kane saga being the one that really uh is the big talking point on that one again newcastle hasn't done a whole lot sanjo tonoli brought in from ac milan newcastle have really taking a different approach than what we have seen since, you know, we saw with, when Abramovich acquired Chelsea, that was 20 years ago or whenever that was, immediately spent a lot of money. Manchester City upon acquiring money, PSG upon acquiring money would spend a lot of it. And I understand there is financial fair play when it comes to Newcastle, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense considering they don't spend a whole ton of money and you can see that Chelsea is spending spent 300 million apparently united got fined for reaching ffp so i don't know ffp is a strange animal and how it how it operates but apparently newcastle are under some ffp constraints but tonoli looks like a good signing and i think newcastle's approach to since that takeover they, it has been kind of slow and and not to say that's been ineffective i think it has been effective Getting into the top four, I think, was a really strong goal for them, considering they were like a 14th, 15th-ish place team, I believe, or that's where you would kind of put them at at the time of that, that takeover. So that's quite remarkable, continuing to build on what they have. And, and Tanoli, I think, will be good in kind of contributing Newcastle's kind of reputation last year of being a very defensively sound team, and, and he should should do quite well with that. So... Newcastle look like a team that could challenge for top four again, but it should be, I think, on the whole, looking at what's been done so far, it should be a fairly competitive top four this this year. Maybe 
Spurs and Chelsea, I'm not sure what's what's going to They both got new managers, depending on if Harry Kane stays or not. I don't think Spurs are going to be able to... They're not going to make themselves better or come even close, I think, if they lose them. Spurs have proven that they're quite ineffective. Kind of one, if they sell one of their big players to do what they can to replace them. Gareth Bale, they brought in about six different people. Um, nothing was even close to as good as Bale, even those those players combined. But as it stands right now, if Spurs are hanging on to Harry Kane, I still don't think they're going to make the top four. Arsenal and Manchester City, I think, are automatics, I think, to be, so be somewhere in the top four. And then probably United and Liverpool and Chelsea uh, and Newcastle, are, are, again, are all good to be in with a shout. Really, I think Arsenal and City are going to be top two and then three through six. I could really see any of the uh, any of those teams, but if you're going to hold me to something right now, I'm going to say that United and Liverpool, in, in no particular order, will make up the three and four spot. But that's not to say that I don't think Chelsea could surprise us either. We don't know what they're going to be they're going to be doing. All right, so now I want to focus on some of the rumors. So Harry Kane has apparently rejected Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, we don't know about what his interest is in Bayern Munich, but there's been a lot of pundits that have that have pointed out that why would Harry Kane, when he's this close to breaking Alan Shearer's record, which is a, a goal that he's that Harry Kane himself has identified that he wants to do, why would he go to Bayern just to win a Bundesliga title that they were going to win anyways? So he's still got one year left on his contract. Daniel Levy, obviously very neglo- or very um, hesitant, or they, he doesn't not want to sell Harry Kane to an English, other English club. And then Harry Kane could leave on a, a free next next summer, which I think that's ultimately the scenario that I would like to see. And then hopefully United could snatch him up on a free because I don't think. You know, Harry Kane will be 31, so he'll still have a few good years, I think, even once once his contract expires, if that's what does happen. And United, I don't think, in our position to really challenge for the title this upcoming year. I think there's going to be one more year of development, so I don't think Harry Kane, even this year on United, could push them to, to that point. He could. But I think United need to develop for one more year. And then if they could acquire Kane next summer, I think they could be challenging for that Premier League title. So we'll see see what happens there. Daniel Levy is incredibly stubborn. We do know that. We do know that. We do know that, that he is stubborn. So we'll see where, where Harry Kane ends up. But I agree with the folks that have said that that it makes no sense for him to to move to Bayern. And you you have to think that he's not going to want to go to Arsenal, City, Erling Haaland. Newcastle might splash the cash if they have that. Chelsea, they've just brought in Nkuku. We'll see. But I think United still remains the most likely English destination, albeit even if it's not this year. Uh, Moises uh, Saicedo has been linked with Chelsea. Really, up until the Declan Rice transfer was confirmed, it was kind of the news was kind of saying that Arsenal was going to be targeting one or the other. 
really heavily and they've already got rice. So it kind of leaves Saicedo to really be a front runner for Chelsea. It sounds like Saicedo is a very interested in joining Chelsea. So it seems like that one's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. It sounds like Brighton want to include him in their preseason schedule. But Chelsea, we know they have the money. And I think in some ways Chelsea shoot themselves in the foot a little bit while they're negotiating this year because anyone who's negotiating with Chelsea recognizes that they can probably do a little bit better in terms of what they're offering. So they can really hold out. And I think if you you saw that they were going to pay a hundred and some million for Enzo. They paid almost a hundred million for uh, Mujek and Saicedo's, I think, in that same caliber of player. You think they could potentially hold out for that? Right now, the figures are around seventy or eighty million, and I think that's a decent piece of business for Chelsea if they were to get that one over the line at that that price. But if he really wants to go, I think he's a, again kind of. Like Declan Rice can be that player for the next 10, 12 years that steps into your midfield, has experience in the Premier League. Though I don't think it would be, this would be one transfer where you think, oh, maybe Chelsea overpaid a little bit. But I don't think that would be the end of the world for that one. And then Kylian Mbappe has in no uncertain terms told the PSG hierarchy that he does not want to sign a new contract. How it looks right now is that he's under contract until the end of next season or and, until 2024, but does not want to re- renew at PSG. Obviously, Real Madrid has been a supporter and admirer of Mbappe for a long time. So Real Madrid's perennial, perennially going to be on the list of, of destinations or potential destinations for Mbappe. I don't see him going to England. I don't even, I don't really think there's even a United or, or I think cause he's going to be demanding probably at least 500,000 a week. And I think that pretty much leads you. It seems like Spain is the only place where people really have that, the ability to spend that kind of money. Uh, Luis Enrique has been appointed I think in some ways, if if Enrique was appoint, appointed a little bit sooner, he could have had these you know conversations with the Mbappe and and kind of determined because Enrique would not put up with Mbappe's bullshit um, in the way that Mbappe might feel that he could have walked over Pochettino or walked over the uh, most recent manager. Can't remember his name, but Enrique's not going to put up with that. So it might have been it might have been a good thing to either kind of Mbappe could decide okay this is something I could work with or or I want to be out the door, but even with it would be a huge loss for him to leave on a free, even with that one year left on his deal, he's still probably a hundred and fifty million dollar player. I think that I think PSG could reasonably ask for something like that and and potentially get it from the right club. So killing Mbappe. I don't know what's going to happen there, but PSG are going to be desperate to offload him. If they, if he has no intention to sign a contract extension, you've really got him for one more year and you hope that you can do something and, and potentially win the Champions League with Mbappe that 
that one year, but also recognizing that the player is probably not going to have a, a very good mentality if he knows he wants to leave and the and the club is is holding him hostage in a way. And, and that's kind of come out. I can't remember what player it was, but I read a news article of, of a player's agent, a PSG player's agent that just wrote a scathing review of PSG ownership and how they treated players. So that's indeed true. Mbappe is going to be completely miserable playing in PSG if he does this year and probably might not put up the same numbers that he usually would. So we'll have to see about that one. But Mbappe, if he goes to Real Madrid, holy crap, Vinicius, Mbappe, all the other great young players. We, I think in some ways with Real Madrid, we we are expecting a kind of changing of the guard or kind of a three or four year rebuilding period where they might not look like a team that's going to challenge for absolutely everything that they uh, are playing for. But you see with Jude Bellingham coming in and and that other French midfielder and and then Camavinga as well. These and Vinicius and Valverde, all these great young players. It really does not seem like a transition where they're going to struggle at all. And and Modric and Kane or Modric and, and Cruz are going to be there for another year to kind of, so they can still put in a shift and then be able to mentor those young, young players. So it does not look like Real Madrid are kind of having that period of struggle at all. Anyway, it looks like I'm just about out of time here, but thanks for tuning in. Uh, we'll, Catch you in the next one, and hopefully there's a lot more juicy transfer news to to talk about.